Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. We're continuing our sermon series through Acts. I know, it feels like we've been in Acts for forever, and the truth is, is that we have. Um, but we're continuing in our sermon series through Acts. If you can open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 11. We're going to be reading through Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 40. I'm reading from the ESV. If there are discrepancies in the text between yours and mine, that's the reason why. This is the word of the Lord. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to me, oh, sorry, this is 16. I am on 16. I don't think I've ever made that one before. Um, 11. Six, no, 16 is right. Did I say 14? You said 15. I said 15. It is 16. I Forgive me, my head is hurting like no other. And we have been going through our <laughs> conference. Acts 16. 16. 1, 6, verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the woman who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The woman, the Lord, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed among us, upon us. As we were going to the house of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have said to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they had heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we give you glory. We give you glory. Abba, I am beyond my wit's end in terms of what I can conjure up on my own. God, would you hide me behind your cross that only you would be magnified and only you would be glorified with the words that come out of my, my mouth be pleasing to you and would it be your words, God, that you would pierce through the hearts of your people, that they would be cut to the heart and believe. God, we have so many different people from all walks of faith, all times of life, coming together to join, to pray and praise in spirit and truth. God, I pray that at this time, for every single person who is listening, Lord, I pray that you would move in every single heart that it would be your word and your word alone that pierces through the hearts of your people and gives conviction to those who need conviction comfort to those who need comfort a call to commitment for those who need a call to commitment jesus be magnified in our service and in our praise in our people 
Holy Spirit, take us to the next level with you. We lean on you. You are our strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today I'm going to be speaking on true freedom. The main idea of this The word is sermon. The word that I was looking for is sermon. The main idea for this sermon is God is in the business of true freedom. I'm going to say that one more time. The main idea for this sermon is God is in the business of true freedom. Now, this is a situation, just to give you a little bit of context, Paul, the last time we had read scripture together last week, Paul and Barnabas were in front of the Jews about circumcision and Peter and James spoke up. Since then, we skipped over a passage where Paul and Barnabas fought and parted ways. <laughs> so now, Paul and Barnabas, like, they just fought and it was just unreconcilable. So Barnabas took, he took John Mark and he went elsewhere. And Paul took Silas and went elsewhere. Silas and Timothy and went elsewhere. And so right now, Paul and Barnabas have departed. And that is for the glory of God, um, because these two missionaries, this, these two people who were a powerhouse now need to cover more ground. And it was, or it was mediated by the church and done peacefully by the church. So now Paul and Silas have traveled in the, in the region of Macedonia to a place called Philippi. This word might be familiar. The word Philippi is in the word Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians is to the church in Philippi. So Philippi is in Macedonia, and Philippi is, as scripture says, a leading city in commerce. This doesn't mean that it's the capital, but it does mean that it is a critical hub for the life of Macedonia. For the life of Macedonia. And so Philippi is a leading city. And at this point, Paul and Silas go in. They go to the house of prayer. It's called a house of prayer rather than a Jewish synagogue because houses of prayer are what the Greeks called Jewish temples. So this is clearly a Greek-speaking colony, and Philippi is an important city. And now the Jews are diaspora Jews. They're immigrants, and they are the minority. And Paul and Silas go into this place of prayer, and they meet somebody whose name is Lydia. Not much is mentioned about Lydia, but one key thing to note is that Lydia is a leading merchant in all things purple. I don't know what that means, because our commerce doesn't work that way. I'm guessing it has to do with the dye that she had a particular dye that dyed everything a brilliant shade of purple. And so she was a leading merchant in all things purple. And that's literally what it says, that she was a purple merchant. It's not that she was purple. It's that the items that she had were purple. And so this lady is a leading merchant, and she meets Paul and Silas and hears the gospel and is saved and is baptized her and her whole household. Now, why, why is Lydia important upon Paul entering into the city? Lydia's name 
is the Latinized word. Is, is a Latinized version of the word that means somebody who is freed after being in slavery by a Roman master. So Lydia's name tells a bit of her history in that she is a freed woman who once was a slave to a Roman master. Now we'll revisit this, but it's very interesting that the first thing that we start off with here is with a woman that was once a slave, but is now set free. And she comes to this understanding of the gospel. She hears Paul and Silas preaching the gospel, and she says, what can I do to be saved? Her and her, her, and her whole household becomes baptized. And then she tells them, if you trust that I am, if, I, if you trust that I believe that I am of faith, please come and stay with us. It's a very, very, it's not a, it's not a statement of testing, but it's a statement of her faith that shows that she goes from merchant and businesswoman to somebody who is generous and giving. Most likely the places, that place that Paul and Silas were staying at was not as good as her own home. And so she invites them there and Paul and Silas begin to stay with her. As Paul and Silas were staying with her, there was a slave girl in the city who has been given the gift of divination, which means, that's, that's, that's Greek language, but what that means is that she was demon-possessed, okay? The lady was spiritually inclined, not by the Spirit of God, but by another spirit. I want to clarify something, I just want to clarify something midway to make very clear. Now, I haven't made a lot of theological statements about the spiritual realm. But I do believe that there are only two kinds of spirits. Spirits that are of God and spirits that are against God. I don't know if there's anything that can be neutral. So when there is somebody who is possessed or somebody who is spiritually inclined, whether it's called divination or another religion or whatever it may be called, that spirit that is inhabiting that person is either of God or not of God. We are inhabited by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. But this girl, although she had spiritual eyes that were open, they were not open by the right spirit or for the right reason. So it says here that this slave girl, she was gifted with a gift of divination. And the key thing to note about her is that she was making a lot of money for her slave masters, okay? A lot of money. And she starts following them. The spirit of divination, the divination gift, it just like clicked on. And she starts following them for many days. Many days, okay? Saying one thing. These men are slaves of the Most High God, calling a new way of salvation. Now she uses the word slave in this sense, not in status that they were tied to God and that they were enchained and shackled by God, but it was a it was a call, it was a statement about their devotion to God. So it's like these men are slaves to the Most High God and are calling for a new way of salvation. Now this is all true, correct? Correct? It's all true, right? Right, Wesley? It's true? It's true. That's what Paul and Silas were, right? But if that moment of clarity is not coming from the right place, 
It is worse than saying nothing at all. So Paul is greatly disturbed by the fact that this evil spirit inhabiting this girl is affirming the risen Lord. And one day, he had had enough. So he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, be gone from her. And obviously, in the name of Jesus, every knee bows, including the knees of those who are evil, or spirits that are evil, and the spirit immediately departs from her in the presence of her slave owners. Now what happens? Normally when people are free from demon possession, your first instinct is to rejoice because the lady has been set free. But what do the slave owners do? They get enraged that their source of income has been cut off. And they drag Paul and Silas before the Roman authorities, before the magistrates, and they say, what do they say? Well, if they're angry at them, wouldn't they say like, oh, this person has cut off my source of income, which is valid. That's a valid thing to complain about. But yet, so there's a bunch of puzzling things. The first thing that is puzzling is that they... They get upset when the lady is set free. And then the second thing that's puzzling is that when they bring that person before the Roman magistrate, their immediate charge is these men throw our city into confusion. They are Jews and they are proclaiming customs that are unlawful for us Romans to adopt or practice. It ain't even about the child. It's some random thing. Now, one thing about Luke that we might not be able to catch immediately is that Luke mentions the charge they placed against Paul and Silas because of how dangerous that charge was. See, there are three themes regarding really dangerous claims about people that could be made. And it was about Roman patriotism, xenophobia, and anti-Semitism. But if you notice, this claim has all three. At the very least, Paul and Silas, if they are proven guilty of these claims, at the very least they will be exiled, and at the very most they will be killed. Very, very serious charges that the slave owners bring against Paul and Silas for what reason? Setting free the slave girl of the evil spirit that was oppressing her. Jane, you might, you might ask, Oh, oh, and then after that, Paul and Silas get beat really badly by the magistrates, by the people, by the by the owners. Jane, why did Paul and Silas get beat? Why do you think Paul and Silas got beat? I apologize for the pads that were running in the background until now. Uh, why did Paul and Silas get beat? It was probably that they were really upset that they because they were making money off of her oppression spiritually and physically. You have to understand, why would Paul and, Paul and Silas get beat if they were setting somebody free? It's because 
That girl's oppression was another person's profit. See, the miracle had happened in front of the slave owner's eyes. And the slave owners reacted in the moment, not with joy, not with wonder, not with perplexion, as is the natural reaction to a supernatural miracle, but it was anger. Their concern was not even in whether or not they saw something that was supernatural, but their concern was in their source of income. Because this girl's oppression was another person's profit. And is that not telling? Is that not something that is not so unfamiliar to our world today? In our country, one person's oppression is another person's profit. In our world, one person's oppression is another person's profit. We can I can make this about racial injustice. I can say, you know, at the expense of people, uh, and this is not even just black people in America, not just the black community in America, right? Where one, where the oppression of the entire black community is the profit of the white community. We don't even have to do that. Even socioeconomically, the oppression of, I mean, think about, think about factors outsourced factories where people work for a couple cents an hour by very, very inhumane conditions because one person's oppression is another person's profit. That's the world that capitalism has birthed. That's the world that we live in today. So although this might sound really inhumane, you have to understand that we, in some ways, passively benefit from this very theme in our world. I can even make this about social media. Some of you guys think that you are not addicted to anything, but nearly all of us are addicted to our phones. We are psychologically dependent on our phones. That's because a lot of applications, a lot of social media is designed to be addictive to the human mind. So maybe it's not an addiction of substance, but it's an addiction of habit because of the hormones that are released, the serotonin that is released at the validation of other people. And the mindlessness of scrolling through things. And we might think, oh, like we're just enjoying social media, but are we making big bucks off of it? No the top one percentage because one person's oppression is another person's profit and oftentimes it takes human dependency on a product or human dependency on a market a market culture like fast fashion or people's dependency on a particular substance for another person to make a lot of money. In this situation, the oppression of the girl brought much, much power and leverage and a unique niche of market to these owners. And even though a supernatural miracle of freedom had happened before their eyes, because they had lost 
their power. They had lost their money. They could not be enjoyed of somebody being set free from oppression. So this particular situation has a lot of like, there's a lot of theology about the spiritual realm here, but the main theology that you can take away is that it is telling of this colony. So first, Lydia, a freed woman that has been set free out of slavery. Second, a slave girl that was set free from spiritual oppression. And then they're beat and put into jail. And this enters us into the next part of this passage. Paul and Silas go to jail and he sings praises with the prisoners. Now jail and incarceration during that time was a little bit different from what it is right now. Jail at back then was a short-term way of dealing with people before a court case. So it was more like a detention. It was more of a detention center, right? And the magistrates put in a very important word to that jailer saying, these people need to be locked away. And the jailer says, okay, and they, he puts them in maximum incarceration. Right, away from everybody else in the innermost parts of the cell, shackling even their legs. And Paul and Silas, they start praising. They start praising, and everybody is listening. All of a sudden, the foundations of the prison prison shake, and every single door is open. Every single chain broken off a person's hands or feet. Would an earthquake where the foundations are shook only open some doors and break off some iron? So God here does a crazy miracle yet again. But his miracle is specific. This is also one thing you got to know about God. God is not vague. God is specific. And even in this earthquake, the foundation of the prison is shook. When the foundation of anything is shook, what happens is that the whole building comes tumbling down, comes crashing down, crumbling down. You know what I mean? But what ends up happening is that only certain doors and certain chains open. Why is that? I believe that this is a physical manifestation of the chains being broken. That what God came to do through Paul and Silas was to set people free. It's a physical manifestation of what God is trying to do in the gospel as he sends his people forth and as his people become enchained for the gospel. So he does a crazy miracle yet again with a very telling message of what God is specifically coming to do. Because clearly everybody that Paul and Silas meets that is of significant value, it has something to do with oppression, it has something to do with being enslaved to something, being caught to something, and here we are, God is here to set all the prisoners free. Now the jailer, see, because the point of this miracle, normally the point of a miracle is when Paul and Silas or, or Peter or other of uh, God's people are needing to be like free, but this particular miracle has a very different goal. And that goal, the key of that goal is in the third person, the jailer. The jailer who had put Paul and Silas in 
the deepest part of the prison cell or, or the prison in the hardest cell to get out of sees that all the doors are open and he pulls out his sword to commit suicide. You know why? Because he was going to die the next day. If people are released like that, set free, the jailer, his life is over. So the jailer tries to commit suicide before anything else happens. And that's when Paul calls out, don't hurt yourself. We are still here. So let me get this straight. God sets y'all free for what? Nobody left? Y'all have been locked up for however so many times. And yo, and Paul had set, God has set you free and you ain't even, you didn't leave? <laughs> What's wrong with y'all? Right? But Paul and Silas says, don't hurt yourself. We are all still here. Joe turns on the lights falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. Sirs, or gentlemen, he refers to them. What can I do to be saved? Now what this jailer is is exhibiting is not necessarily faith at this point. What the jailer is exhibiting is religious terror that his abuse of the prisoners incited the God of the apostles. So the jailer, I mean, that makes sense, right? The jailer sees, he's like, oh my God, I've done it. Oh my God, why me? I've, I've done it. We've gone and done it. God is mad. Their God is mad now. And so he falls before their feet, trembling, just in light of what God has done for them. Sirs, what can I do to be saved? Why the jailer says that is because the jailer is expecting to pay a price. Normally in Jewish religion or in Roman religion or in basically any other religion, the way that you would be free from doing something that incited the anger of the gods is a sacrifice or a ritual, something to alleviate and assuage the gods. And so the jailer is thinking that all of this wrath is incurred onto him. And he's like, what can I do? Do I kill a goat? Do I kill a lamb? You want my money? You want my gold? What do you want? So if you think about it like that, in light of the Jewish context, the jailer is fearful because gods usually have no mercy. And if you've done something, you've done it. So the jailer was like, what can I do? Anything, something, anything. And Paul's answer to that, although it is very, very familiar to us, it is countercultural to the jailer. Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your entire house. The jailer takes them out of their cell, brings them into their home, washes their wounds, Paul, Paul and Silas preach the word of God to the household. The household is all baptized and joy falls upon the household, the entire household of the jailer. I want you to understand how much the table has turned, the tables have turned in this situation. 
The jailer, the one who was locking up the prisoner, is washing the wounds of the prisoner as the prisoner is setting the jailer free. And that jailer is most likely Greek. Those two, the freed woman and the slave girl, they're probably not. But this guy, he is. He works for the government. He enforces the law. And yet he, he is the one to wash the wounds of the very people that were in jail. As the people who were his prisoners tell him the gospel that sets him and his family free. God flips over, not just the ones who were enslaved, but the ones who were hired to enslave and incarcerate. In the morning, magistrates say that they can go. The jailer says, hey, you're free now. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't done with them. I'm a Roman citizen. I haven't gotten my due process. Y'all don't just get away with this. You don't get to just let us free in secret. You have to come get us. And the magistrates freak out. They go. They ask for Paul. They get him out. And they beg him to leave. Why? It's probably because of the slave owner. They were afraid of incurring the wrath of the slave owner. So they escort him out. So the what actually happens is the magistrate tells the police, the police tells the jailer, Paul tells the jailer, the jailer tells the police, and the police go back to the magistrate saying, these people that you locked up without hearing them out, they're Roman citizens. The magistrates start freaking out. They send the police. The police escort them out. The magistrates meet them. The magistrates say, please leave. Please. Because they don't want to incite the anger of the slave masters. You know the slave masters of the girl? They don't want to get them angry. And now we see the magistrates are enslaved to the public opinion. The magistrates are unable to do as they need to or as they please because of public opinion. Paul and Silas, they don't put up a fight. They visit Lydia and they leave. What can we take away from this passage? The first and the main thing that we have to take away is that God is in the business of setting people free in the midst of an oppressive world. This world is oppressive on so many levels. So many levels. We are all a product of stimuli. Do you understand what that means? We are all a product of of stimuluses that have sunk into us and become addictions. That is the world we live in. We live in a capitalist society Where in the name of free trade, one person's oppression is another person's, not freedom, not power, profit. You know how nasty that is? 
It's one thing that some people are free when some people are not. It's another thing when some people are in power when some people are not. It's a completely other thing when slavery on one end leads to profit on the other. But that is the world we live in. You're either on the side that is profiting or you're on the side that is oppressed. It's not just about power. It's about profit. It's about benefit and privilege. But in the midst of an oppressive world, on so many different levels, God comes in through these two rambunctious men who go through getting beat, who go through being treated like kings, all on the same day, to show that when we believe in God, the things that have been enshackling us are set free. See, a lot of people think, oh, when you become Christian, you have all these restrictions put on your life. Oh, when you become Christian, you don't get to do what you want to. It is more freeing to live in the secular world. To that, I have to say, man, you have no idea why you do what you do. Because our motivations in the world, they are not completely ourselves. They are all influences. We are a product of what has influenced us and stimulated us. And we have given in to certain cultural norms about popularity, about value, about success, about wealth, about prosperity. You are not free. We are not free. You know why all this unrest is happening? You know why the whole world flips up, flipped upside down? Because the oppression is coming to light. The socioeconomic oppression. Now, some people might be like, Jane, you're sounding a little communist here. This is not, I'm, I'm not pro-communism. I don't even know what to say to that. So if you think that, I'm sorry. Democratic Socialist, I don't care. I didn't even, it's not, this is not about politics at this point. We're talking about freedom in God and oppression from the world. And no matter which way you see it, from a, from a spiritual lens, you are enslaved to certain things that run the world. Even when people are money hungry, running their butt off to make money, that is because they're being chased by the demands that society has placed on them as a member. That's not in freedom. And yet, the gospel is about freedom. The name of Jesus breaks chains. Influences, power, profit, prosperity, success. You no longer have to live by these things. 
Yes, you still need to put food on the table. Yes, you're still going to need to have a profession, but your life need not be dependent and reliant on these values any longer. Because you and we are on a completely different level. Because God is in the business of setting people free. God is in the business of setting people free in the midst of an oppressive world. And chains break when we worship God. The gospel is about freedom. Freedom from what you were confined to. Freedom even from your own priorities that were given to you by the world. To people that were enslaved by their obligation and their responsibility. To people functioning as members of society and having no other way out. God flips it upside down. The jail serves the prisoner. The oppressed, demon-possessed slave girl becomes free spiritually. And the merchant, who is a slave girl, become free, becomes spiritually free. The jailer serves the prisoner. The demon-possessed girl no longer is possessed by the demon. And the slave woman, now free, believes and is saved. In the name of Jesus, all your chains are broken. In the name of Jesus, God is in the business of setting people free. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now I've mentioned this imagery over and over and over again. But it takes 11 days between Egypt and the promised land. But the Israelites needed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Just because of what? Because even though they were physically free, they were still living in slavery. Even though their chains had fallen off, they still kept their wrists together. My question for you is, in what way are you allowing yourself to stay enslaved even when God has set you free? What does it mean for you that God has set you free from the demands of society, from the demands of the world, from the things that that either profit you or oppress you? From the things that you can't control, even though even your urges to maybe go on your phone, from the things that you are confined to, what does it mean that God has set you free? Are you even willing to be set free from the world? Are you even willing to be set free from the oppression of the world? Are you willing to live a countercultural life? Because the reality is, is that we are not restricted as Christians. We are set free from the chains of gratification, from the chains of hedonism. We don't have to live just to be stimulated anymore. We don't have to live just to make it in this world anymore. We don't have to live just to to go from oppressed to profiting. You don't have to do all that. The Lord has set you free. And you can extend past even those things. And God has already given all rights and authority to do that for you. 
It's just a matter of, are we living in? Are we walking into? Are we stepping into our identity as free? You are free to run, free to dance, free to live for God. Free to live, finally. But are you living that? Especially in this time of quarantine. Are you free? Are you really living like you're free? Have you been shackled once again? Have you allowed yourself to be shackled once again? See, God's values don't make sense when you consider this world. God's value is upside down, left side right. But what can you do? Maybe it'll seem really uncomfortable to walk in the light. But don't get it twisted, y'all. You can live based on the paradigms of the world. Or you can live based on the paradigms of God. We are free. Even though we are sinners, we are free to worship God. We are free because we are sinners that have been redeemed by the grace of God. Free to live life pursuing sanctification and holiness. Because God has paid, regarded our humblest estate and paid the price for our souls. So even when we fall short, we can continue to walk in the light. It's freedom. Lastly, God cares. God cares for those that the world might not care about. God cares. God cares for both sides. God cares for the slave girl and the jailer. God cares for the jailer and the free woman. Everyone's mode of salvation is different. God cares. And if you notice, when God loves on them by allowing them to meet his servants and they come to receive the gospel as their own, they are in joy, in utter joy at the freedom that is presented to them. And now the jailer doesn't have to live like a jailer. The jailer can serve the prisoner. And now, the oppressed, the demonized, can can be free to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now, the woman that has worked her butt off out of slavery to become a wealthy merchant, tied to success and power, can be generous and giving Because now, the greatest thing in her life is no longer what she owns, but it's what she's been given. God cares for you. And he wants for you to live in freedom. He wants 
for you to live in joy. God loves you. He died for you. Not just to flip the tables on your righteousness, but to flip the tables on earning and making your life governed by grace. Not about what you own, not about what you can produce, not about being chased by the things of this world. but to be governed by grace and mercy. For the currency of your life to be forgiveness and kindness. This freedom, we are no longer enshackled by the dilapidation of this world and the complete deterioration of sin. We are free to be with God free to be with one another, free to see past ourselves, free to belong to God as citizens together. But do you want to be free? Doesn't matter whether or not you're in quarantine. Don't, don't put it all on quarantine. Do you want to be free? It takes willingness. Just believe. Let's take some time to pray. What are some of the ways that you have been unable to break from your own chance. What are some of the things that you have a hard time living and feeling about? Can we take some time to pray? Press into being a child of the light. Press into the freedom that you think. from wherever you are listening we hope you were blessed by this week's message for more information check out our website at mbkumc.com